Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? I know you guys are a little into it. I hear some of them singing during the bumper. So there's, you guys are getting excited about this series still, right? We're, uh, we're finishing it up. My name is Dave. I am one of the pastors. I'm happy to be here with you guys today. I want to start off, though, um, taking you back to a time when I was in high school and share an experience that was eye-opening for me. We had taken into our home, she was a great aunt, and she was really like a grandmother figure uh, to me. And towards the end of her life, she needed some caregiving, and my mom and my dad brought her in, and so she was living with us. She didn't know the Lord, but she was very open to God, and she would ask me to read the Bible to her. And she had the most confusion about who Jesus was. So when I would read the Bible, I would specifically choose scriptures that talk about Jesus so she could get a better understanding. Well, when I opened the Bible, I began reading. Um, she's, she's there, and she begins to turn pale and starts sweating and gets all this stomach pain. She's getting really ill. And she goes, oh, honey, I just can't. I'm so sick right now. Can you probably have to do this in a little bit or tomorrow or something? I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come back. So um, next day, try it again. Um, very interesting. She's doing fine, but right when I start to read... She's not doing fine. So, oh, give her some space. She must, I don't know, I wonder if she's getting ill. I don't know what's going on. So this happens again, and I'm starting to catch on. Like, this only is happening when I'm reading about Jesus. So I don't know if this is going to work. So I asked her, I said, do you mind if I do something? Would it be okay if I pray, um, pray right now? I know you're really sick, um, but what if God would just touch that and heal that? Do you care if I would just pray for that? Oh, honey, I don't care what you do. And so, so I pray. Well, instantly it's taken away. Very simple prayer. Lord, come touch her, minister. Give her freedom to hear what you have to say. And she gets, her stomach pain goes away. She feels fine. She goes, oh, I feel so much better. And now I could read scripture. It's very interesting. And from that moment on, I began to pray before I would start reading. And I could always read scripture to her from that point on. It was the first time, I think, that I was beginning to get a taste that there is a spiritual reality behind our physical reality. We don't always see that or know it, but that was, a, that was a glimpse that I began to see that there are things that can happen that can affect the physical. If you're new with us, we're in a series, and it's in the book of Ephesians. If you have a program, you can take out an outline and follow along, and I'll quickly get you up to speed. But... Paul, he was a leader in the early church. He wrote this to believers in a city called Ephesus, and his book is broken down into two big chunks. The first one is the big blueprint of God, the grand vision of what God's doing, which is bringing everything back under the leadership of Jesus, and he's chosen his believers to be a key part of bringing everything back under the rule of God. The second part of his book, it is very practical, so we called it Living the Vision, where when we give our lives to Christ, we start walking with him. Basically, this is not something that we do on weekends, but when we walk with God, it really does touch every part of our life. It's not just something we do, it's who we are. And so Ephesians really made it really practical, talked about a lot of different areas of our life, a lot of different types of relationships and settings. And what it lays out is this grand picture that life with God can be this magnificent, transformative thing And it was turning the city of Ephesus upside down. People saw radical change. Well, as we come now to where we're at today, we have to ask ourselves something. Sometimes when we read Ephesians or we read portions of Scripture, do you ever feel like, wow, all this magnificent change, how come it seems so easy for them, but for me, it doesn't seem quite that easy? 
when I'm trying to pursue God, it feels a little bit harder. Um, how many of you have ever had an experience where you've had like a spiritual high? You've had a big breakthrough. You're like, things are going great. You're really high. And then a few days later, you're really low. All of a sudden, you're battling anxiety. You've got fear or you've got doubt. How many can relate to that, right? So we, what we read here, it seems like there should be all this victory in Christ that after we come to Christ, you ever wonder, shouldn't it get easier? Why is it now getting harder? And that's what Ephesians is going to speak to today. And what we find is that there is a reality behind our reality. If you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, it talks about some reality. Thank goodness that's not true. But some reality behind our reality. And in Ephesians, what he's going to do is like he's taking and peeling back the physical reality. You get a quick peek. And you see things that you've not seen before that gives some more understanding for what kind of environment we're in. And in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he said that there is an enemy. And this enemy is evil. And before we came to Christ, we were under his leadership. He's very real. There's a spiritual reality out there. So as we jump in today, um, we're going to be looking at this. And it is basically he's giving a new term, a new metaphor for the church. Talked about being the bride, but now he's going to describe this as us at war. So we're calling this epic warfare. And the first thing you're going to notice is that this vision, this grand vision of Ephesians, this vision is opposed. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, so in summary of everything he's talked about in Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So first thing he's saying, believers, you got to be strong in the Lord. One thing you need to catch is this verb is a passive tense. It means that when you're being strong in the Lord, God is doing something to you. He is strengthening you. That this strengthening in the Lord is even outside of yourself. But as you position yourself before God, there is a strengthening that happens. That's why in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he prayed that we would experience and know that power. It's a very real thing. But um, the literal translation would be like, strengthen yourselves in the Lord. And it's when you, but as you look at the verbs, it's like you come under that place where you position yourself with the Lord, and he does it to you. He strengthens you. And it's present tense. It means it's ongoing. That this is an ongoing thing we should experience, this strengthening of God throughout our lifetime. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. So this is an armor that God is supplying. Next week, Michael unpacked that. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. A couple things to point out. We are at war. He just laid out our enemy. Our enemy is the devil himself. It is Satan. Um, and he says that he is scheming. He is alive and well. He plots the destruction of the church. He is opposed to the things of God and the image bearers of God. He's opposed, opposed to every believer, and he's very real. And then Paul emphasizes this. He says to make sure you stand your ground. Take your stand, which means we can either be in a position where we're surrendering ground over to the enemy, or there is an ability to stand your ground. And so he's giving this it's like a general giving an inspirational charge to his troops. Stand your ground. Don't give it up. Then it goes on. 
and he tells us why. This is where he begins to peel this back even a little bit more. The reality behind a reality. There's a real Satan. There's a real devil. And in verse 12, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle, my struggle, is not against people. So think of who you'd naturally associate as an enemy. And he's saying, listen, what you think of as your enemy, they're not your enemy. People are not your enemy. People are our goal. That's who we pray for. That's who we're after. Before we came to Christ, we were all considered enemies of God. And so our desire is to, is to go after them, pray for them, seek them. And he clearly lays out the enemy is really in the unseen realm. He laid out Satan, and then he goes on to say this, but, our, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he gives four expressions to these things. Um, he referenced like authorities, powers. Earlier on in Ephesians, this is a reference to the demonic. So when he touches on rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil, an all-encompassing term to deal with the demonic forces that are at play. And that's what he's highlighting. Now when he says we struggle against them, the word struggle is the same word for wrestling. So it's like the closest combat you're going to have. You're like face-to-face combat. If you've ever been in a wrestling match, it'll wear you out in five, ten minutes. It takes all your might, all your strength, and it is a personal attack. It is close combat, and it's tiring. And so that's the, that is how he's describing the reality of the battle that believers will face. It's a big deal. And he says, put on, in verse 13, the full armor of God. So that when, everybody say when. When. Now, I only want you to repeat that just because it doesn't say if. When the day of evil comes. This is not referencing the end times. This is saying he's talking to individuals. When the day of evil comes in your life, which means some days are going to be more evil than others. Some days it's going to be like incessant shelling on your life. Some days are going to be really easy. Feels fine. But not every day. And some days are going to be harder to pursue God. Someday your relationships will feel harder. When the day of evil comes, that you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. The idea is you won't make it through life unscathed. Did Jesus battle while he was on earth? Like, did he have opposition spiritually? All the time. Did the early church have opposition? All the time. They would martyr for their faith. It was difficult. It was difficult. The first followers of Jesus, the disciples, had massive opposition. Present day, believers still have opposition around the world. People still die for their faith. This is a very real thing. And behind it, there are spiritual forces forces opposed to God. And that's what he's highlighting. So we want to hold our ground. That's what we're really going to talk about today. Now, we're going to unpack this epic war this epic warfare today, and I find that in this conversation, there's, there can be confusion or some bad thinking, unbiblical thinking as we come into it. So I'm going to give you the top three. First one would be an unhealthy obsession. Oh, this stuff gets so exciting to you, and it's, it's kind of fun. It's supernatural. You want to check it out, but it can turn into unhealthy obsession, and you know you've crossed the line when your pursuit of that is higher than your pursuit of Jesus. Jesus is our pursuit. Hebrews says he's the author, perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes on him. So unhealthy obsession. Another faulty one would be fear. 
You're like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want to talk about this. This freaks me out. Maybe you saw The Exorcist or some paranormal activity movie. You're like, "Uh uh-uh, not going there. Anything otherworldly, I don't want to talk about it. So if I don't talk about it, I don't have to deal with it. Here's the reality. We all deal with it, whether we recognize that we deal with it or not. That's why he's giving instruction to the entire church and everybody individually. Um, This is something that's very real, and don't be afraid of it, but you also know how to take your stand. Um, The third bad reaction towards it is we get very dismissive of it, or you just, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. You don't want to give attention to it, and and you really just basically think, "I, I understand, and I'll even believe it happened in the Bible. Bible times, that's fine. It could even happen in third world countries, but listen, we're in the USA. It doesn't happen here. All right, they don't cross the border. So it just stays away. So we have weird thinking in this thing. And I find that most tend to be, mostly it's, it's not even a lot of thought. In our culture, it's more kind of dismissed. There's more of a naturalistic tendency to kind of dismiss things that are, um, you can't physically measure or you know, do a science experiment on. It's, it can be dismissive. So we need to get some clarity on what is the battle. So we'll start with um, epic warfare, understanding the battle, So what are the rules of engagement and how does this work? I'll give you four uh, key points. Number one is this. Our enemy is defeated, but he is not yet destroyed. He's defeated, not yet destroyed. So like in World War II, Germany was defeated, but there were still mop-up battles that had to happen. People still, blood was still spilled. There was battles still taking place. Great picture of what we've got. Let me pause and give you a little background on our enemy, our great enemy, Satan. He is, his existence is talked about in seven of the Old Testament books. Um, Understand that every single New Testament writer talks about him. Jesus spent considerable time talking about him, the demonic. It's very real. Satan himself was in the highest class and ranking of angels. He was in the cherub class. One of the cherubim. And out of all of them, he was the highest of all. So he was the most powerful creature God had ever created. But he was a created creature. Remember that. He was designed to serve God. The most powerful angel. We learn that he led a great rebellion. And a third of the angels fall, go go along with him, with Lucifer, and they turn. And the battle at that point, their judgment is they're given over to their sin. They're in a fully corrupted state. Now non-redeemable, they're done. They have been judged, and it's done. Now, those angels, now called demons, the battle goes down to earth. Genesis chapter 3 comes in. You see Satan coming in a very subtle form, and he tempts the first humans. He cannot make them sin. He can't do that to them. But he can cast dispersion on God's character, make them doubt God. He can make them want to do something they shouldn't do. And they give in, they sin, and right there, they are under his authority. That's when humanity came under the authority of Satan himself. That's why to this day he is called the God of this age. He's known as the destroyer, the father of lies, murderer, the prince of demons. And he's very real, but he, humanity fell, and the minute they did, they are now given over to sin. 
Death is something that's new to them. Spiritual death and ultimately physical. And they're under the influence of the evil one. Genesis 3, you see God already starting his rescue plan. And Jesus is going to be coming. What the first Adam failed to do, he would come as the second Adam. He would be tempted. He would come and take back the lost ground, but he would pay for it. It would be a costly one where he would literally die, give his life as a perfect ransom. He will die, but he will rise, which gives victory over sin, death, and Satan himself. And this is where we look at Colossians that describes it. Colossians chapter 2, you can look in your outline or on screen, and it says this, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So death can even be overcome. He forgave us all our sins. He's overcome sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, it condemned us. He's taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authority, there's those terms again. That is a reference to the demonic. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That is their defeat. When Jesus died, they were defeated. The authority of sin, defeated. The authority of death, defeated. Not yet destroyed. We live in a time between the times, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. The first coming of Jesus, he came to defeat the enemy's sin and death. On his second coming, he will destroy it. That's good news, right? So we're in this time between the times. So the enemy is very real. He is very active. It's a clear and present danger for everybody. Um, and we're supposed to be aware of it. That's why when Ephesians says, hey, this is how life can look. This is how you do relationships. This is what life with God can be like. It will be opposed. Relationships will be harder than they should be. We are still, still have a flesh and sin nature we deal with, but there is also a spiritual reality that influences and exploits anything it can in our lives. You have all of heaven looking at us. You have the forces of hell looking at us. And it is cosmic what our life is really about. It's this grand thing that we are, the kingdom of God is ushering in and we are a part of it and there are major forces at play. So much so that in the Old Testament you get this picture that a believer is praying. One powerful demon known as the prince of Persia is dispatched to oppose the answer to this prayer. And you get this crazy thing that in the unseen realm people are just praying but in the unseen realm, this demon is opposing the answer to the prayer. Somehow this cosmic battle is ensuing, and the answer is delayed for 21 days until Michael, one of the most powerful archangels of God, is dispatched to go and help with this spiritual battle, and then the prayer gets answered. You have no idea how, how powerful it is that when we're praying, things are happening in, in the realms we don't even realize. He is defeated, not yet destroyed. Number two, our enemy can be successfully resisted. That's good news, right? Successfully resisted. Well, how does he come against us? Let's start with that. Well, for unbelievers, catch this, I'll just give you a couple. One thing it says he does to unbelievers is blind their minds to even hear and understand who God is. There's something going on spiritually before we come to Christ. That's why it's always important to pray for people 
that you would love to see come to know God. There's a spiritual battle at play. Another thing it says that even, it, there's a reference where it says he snatches the word away. Like people hear it and then they kind of lose it. They, they get lost in it. So they, we've got to pray for that. For believers, it says that he tempts us. The demonic world tempts. Makes us want to lie. Give over to certain things that are opposed to God. Accuses us. Makes you want to do something. Can't make you. But if you give into it, now it'll remind you of it. So what you get is a sense where not even all the thoughts that we have are our own thoughts. We can get accusing, lying, attacking thoughts. Because he's meant to wear us down. To destroy us. In the New Testament, you get pictures where it can even attack physically. There's people under physical attack from the demonic. but They get freedom from it. But we can resist. In verse 10 of Ephesians, we looked, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It is a reference to this Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. This is how strong the power is that we have. This gives us the authority to resist. You want to take a look at it? Um, you can look on screen, and it says this. And, and speaking of God's power and his incomparably great power. So can we compare anything to God's power? No. Does Satan, his power and authority compare to God's power? No, it doesn't touch it. It's not like a battle we're afraid that's losing. He's already defeated. He will ultimately be destroyed. Um, and he says this incomparably great power is for who? For us who believe. When you come to Christ... All of the power of heaven is behind you, and the power is so great, it says it's the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. This power is the one that overcame death, sin, Satan himself, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenlies, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, again, referencing the demonic, and, a, and every name that is invoked, so every demon behind every false god, he's above that. Not only in the present age, but in the one to come. He is defeated, not yet destroyed. So when you turn to Christ, you get a brand new identity. You become a child of God. All of heaven is behind you. You have brand new authority to resist in ways you never could have before. And in fact, the enemy said he came to steal and kill, destroy. You've heard that before? Do you know what we get to do in Christ? Ephesians is about everything restoring under the rule of God. We get to actually steal back. We take ground back. Every time somebody bows their knee to Christ, ground is gained for the enemy. Every time you submit part of your life to Christ, there's, it's like the authority of his kingdom is expanding. That is what's going on, and it is a cosmic war behind our physical reality that we're all involved in. It's very powerful. We have so much power in Christ, not in ourselves, but in Christ. James 4, 7 said if, that if Satan himself... He can't be everywhere, but if one day he came to you directly to oppose you directly, you can resist him. James 4, 7, look on screen. It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and what's he going to do? He's going to flee from you. That is awesome, right? You're going to see heels and elbows, and off he goes in the wind. Boom. Out he goes. Resist, and he will flee. When I was at Biola, I had a prayer partner and I was here in the valley. I gave him a phone call to see how things are going. He described tension in his relationship with his roommate, but they didn't even have a source of their tension. They couldn't figure it out. Um, 
having weird, dark dreams, crazy things. I said, listen, let's just pray about that. He goes, yeah, we probably should. To describe him, he's one of the most non-emotional guys. It's like if you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and it's that guy, Bueller, like non-emotive guy. Um, But solid. So if he's excited or down, it's just kind of the same. But when I was on the phone with him, I heard he got panicked. Right when we began to pray, he gasped. He goes, There's some, I feel something. There's something here. Like, what do you mean you feel something? Is somebody in there? No, but I feel it. Okay, that's, okay. I know that's not good, so let's just pray about that. So <laughs> as I said, I said, let me pray. And then he's like, do not pray. Don't pray. He had this wave of fear that came over him. Well, anytime you have fear without a source, good indication that's demonic. So we pray. And I said, just repeat after me, then it breaks. Oh, we're both fired up now. That's exciting. We saw God broke through. Something was coming against that. Three in the morning that night, I get attacked with fear. I woke up in a fetal position. Again, fear without a source. Good indication. Is that from God? No. So I pray out loud. I'm a child of God. The evil one cannot touch me. So I just resist anything that's not of the Holy Spirit and declared, declared that in Jesus' name. And boom, broke. Oh, now I'm really, I'm really excited. Like, I'm, I'm experiencing this freedom, and I literally could go to, I didn't have any fear. I, I, you know, that sounds like a scary experience, but it's actually, it was very empowering, because the power of God is so much greater. Now, what was interesting, my prayer partner kept battling things. Remember, we turned to a professor that was there at the time, uh, Neil Anderson. He helped us give some understanding that the key thing in James 4, 7 is you've got to submit yourself before you resist. If you have things that are unsubmitted, it takes away your authority to resist. So the order of this is very important, and he ultimately found freedom from it. Now, the idea of knowing that we have, we can resist successfully, this can be taught to little kids. Um, we've taught it to our son. We don't talk about this stuff a lot. We don't, it's not even our focus. The Lord's our focus. But there have been times he has had some spiritual attack. My wife was great. She described it as, listen, you know, there's a biggest bad guy. And he's, you know, that's referencing Satan. And there's other bad guys. And they want, sometimes want to make you feel bad or think bad things or like that. Or if you get a, a dream that's really bad like the one he'd had um, that was clearly demonic, she just um, in, taught him the basic understanding. And then we taught him this. Like, listen, do you want to know what the biggest bad guy is afraid of? Yes. The biggest bad guy is afraid of Jesus. <gasps> really? Yeah. Is Jesus with us? Yes. You love Jesus? Yes. You follow Jesus? Yes. Now watch this. When you're feeling that, this is what you do. You just say, go away. Jesus says so. You know what he does? If he ever gets that, every once in a while, but he knows enough to say, go away. Jesus says so. Is it amazing thought that someone very young, a six-year-old in the faith, he's only six years old, but can apply James 4, 7, and what does the demonic have to do? Flee. Because there's incomparably great power for us who believe. It's very powerful stuff. Isn't that good? Yeah. All right. Um, number three. Our enemy will attack your vulnerabilities. Our enemy will attack your vulner- vulnerability. <laughs> I don't know why I can't say that today. <laughs> I have had no issues in three services. Vulnerabilities. So what does this mean? We're all vulnerable. We all have weak spots. When we were in Uganda, my wife and I, um, 
you know, the mosquitoes, some could carry malaria, so we'd have a mosquito net over our bed at night. And I remember we were laying there one night, and you're like, okay, make sure that thing is sealed shut. That's when the mosquitoes come out. And we saw, I'm telling you, this was like the demon mosquito from hell. It came, and it was like, and it was so patient. And it was just like looking and tapping everywhere in the net so slowly, because it knows there's got to be an opening. And it's just, you know, it was mesmerized. You were like, this thing is like, it is, I think it is the possessed mosquito right there. It's like, it's like death coming, malaria, one bite, here it comes, watching this little guy. But that little mosquito was a great picture that um, it will probe for any vulnerability that we have. That's what the enemy will do. Well, what's it look like? It rarely looks evil at first. You know, this coming against us in really scary ways is not usually the MO of the enemy. It is subtle. It looks attractive. In fact, he tempts us with things we really want, but we know we shouldn't. That's how he comes. That's why 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says it like this. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as what? An angel of light. Now, usually this takes place in our thoughts um, or a temptation. And uh, think back of King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. Very unlikely David would fall or give in to some temptation to directly defy God. So you got to think, if you were Satan, if you were part of the enemy kingdom, how would you get David to fall? Well, you'd go after a vulnerability. Well, you could say maybe one of David's vulnerabilities was fear. Sometimes he had fear. Sometimes it was self-reliance. Just want to lean on his own strength or his own ability. And this is exactly where the enemy came at him. 1 Corinthians 2, 11, or 21, verse 1. Look at, on, look at on the screen. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So what is Satan's objective? He wants to come against all the people of God. He knows if he can get this leader to get some kind of authority in this leader's life, he can affect a nation. It's a big deal. So what does this do? This looks like why in the world, what's the big deal if he's going to go count his troops? Shouldn't any leader, any general, any commander of an army know how many troops they have? That's just wise. What's the big deal? This is the big deal, and Satan knew it. The big deal for David was that his confidence has never been and never should be in the number of troops he has. It is always in the Lord. That's why God would love battles that are so ridiculous for any of his people to ever win because God has to take victory. Don't worry about how many troops you've got. And the minute David gave in to that sin, what happened in his heart is his confidence shifted. And right there he snagged. And a whole nation can be affected. Parents, if you've got kids, when we give in, you have to understand something can happen. There, it can affect your whole family. Just be wise in all of that. With Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he was vulnerable to impulsiveness and arrogance. And you see this when Jesus told him, hey, listen, I have to die and rise. And then Peter had a thought that came in his head. Well, Peter's pretty impulsive. He spits it right out. 
He assumes it's his own thought. But the way this happens, Jesus comes right at it. Peter says, never, Lord. That's never going to happen. Jesus does not coddle Peter and say, Peter, I understand. It sounds scary. It sounds really sad. It's going to be okay. He doesn't do any of that. Now, what's bizarre, he looks right at Peter, and this is in uh, Matthew 16. He looks at Peter, and he, sees, he says that famous phrase, get behind me, Satan. Now, he's not talking to Peter, even though he's looking at Peter. He's talking to Satan, who is influencing a thought, and Peter is spitting it directly out. And he says, you don't have the, mind, the concerns of God in mind, but the concerns of men. But he went after a vulnerability that was there. The enemy is subtle. If you would say in your life, where are you most vulnerable? Is it worry? Is it vanity? You love the attention. You're always watching the number of likes on your Facebook. It's actually an indicator. Be aware. It's very subtle stuff. Um, Self-reliance. So you're going to work hard. Neglect the things of the Lord. It's very subtle. But it shifts you. Lust. I'm looking, but I'm not doing anything else. You're snagged. Jealousy. I'll just dwell on that thought a little longer. Oh, really? That is irritating. And then betrayal wants to come in. Or gossip. Um, His attacks are usually very subtle. You have to be very aware of it. Um, One thing we cannot say is, the devil made me do it. Okay? He cannot make you do it. He can't. He could give you a thought. He could give you a temptation. But we are all individually, morally responsible for all of our choices. And there is an ability to resist. Make sense? All right. Let me give you one more. Number four. Key thing in the battlefield is number four. Our enemy will take whatever ground you surrender. He'll take whatever ground you give him. Whatever you surrender. Do you know that he can only directly attack you with permission as a believer? That's encouraging. Now, we know this because for Job in the Old Testament, Satan was so irritated. He says, you've got a hedge of protection around this guy. I can't even get near him. Lift that hedge of protection and watch how he turns from you. He had to have permission from God to launch an all-out assault on Job and his family. And then God allowed it, but he had to get permission. And then he did violent things, incited murder, natural disaster, crazy things. Now, he either has to get permission from God or guess where else? Guess who else gives permission? You, me. We give it ourselves. Ephesians 4:26. Look at this scripture. It says, "In your anger, do not sin." Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why? Because verse 27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. Then it talks about unforgiveness. Verse 31 talks about other sins. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So there's an interesting concept that when we unsubmit ourselves in an area from God, The enemy can take ground and have some kind of influence in your life. Not that he has full influence, but he can make things harder. You can think of it almost like a volume knob. Maybe you you emotionally react to things 
But if he has some authority in your life, those emotions can get tweaked, and it's out of balance on your reaction. Maybe it's just the level of thoughts being attacked in your mind and what goes on in your mind. Occasionally, it can be physical. It can be all of those things. But our sin gives ground. I remember one leader, she uh, was battling some things, and she went through some prayer and learned how to resist, and she had some unsurrendered areas in her life. It's like opening a door, and there was just all this negative influence in her life. And she described, once she was walking free from this, a few days later, she was like, I don't know how to say this, but it is like a radio has been turned off in my mind. It's finally at rest. It can just, it's like an intensity knob on volume or how much is going on. There was, a, uh, there was a family that had to understand this very important principle that the enemy would love to take ground. They called, they had, their kids had some very weird experiences happening, um, weird experiences in the home. Um, there's all this turmoil with them relationally too. So we go to pray. And the first thing you do, we don't run in there and start, you know, throwing holy oil and everything else, like chasing after the dark things. You know, it really starts with this. It's very simple. Let's just come back to the Lord. We met with each person individually, each, each of the spouses individually. They submitted areas that they had not, that they really had opened the door to the enemy on in their lives. They just simply confessed things. They reconciled together. Then they prayed for their family. And guess what? It's free. It's quiet. It's a very important principle to understand that our enemy will take whatever ground we surrender, but we don't have to give it. So let's talk about standing your ground. Two questions for you So as we apply this right now. Number one, have you surrendered any ground? Have you surrendered any ground? Um, in a group this size, I know that there's people that have been struggling. I know that it's, some of you may just be at the end of your rope, honestly. You feel like you have tried and it is just not working, to walk with God. It works for others, but for you, you're the exception to the rule, and it doesn't work. And so there's doubt, there's frustration, it's built up. The first thing you have to ask yourself is, you may be trying to move with God, but you have areas of your life that you've surrendered, ground. You can't move ahead until you, you deal with that. You've got to look for any surrendered ground. And I'm telling you, that's why Jesus said, I came to set captives free. When you submit things back to Jesus, there's freedom, amazing freedom. So you have to ask yourself, are there anger issues you've got? Is it pointing to a bitterness and an unforgiveness that you are not willing to let go of? Not that you cannot, but you will not. You've given some authority there. Maybe it's, it's just straight-up criminal activity. There's something, you know, it's just illegal. You're doing it. Let me tell you, you are opening yourself up. I'm not saying every time you do something that's a sin, that there's some kind of demonic influence that is going to make things harder. But I'm telling you, the more you do it, the more open you are, you are inviting negative influence in your life. I'm telling you. Substance abuse. Sexual sin. The occult. 1-800-PSYCHIC. Hey, what do you think about next week? <laughs> Listen, it sounds really subtle. Well, I'm telling you, you're opening a door. You are giving freedom in your life. So if you're playing with a Ouija board, 
going into darker things, playing with black or white magic. These are not innocent things. You don't talk to the dead. Don't try and conduct a seance. You don't enter that because you open yourself. And trust me, they will exploit it. They will. You've had suicide attempts. Just an area you say, God, I give it back to you. I don't mean to. T- My life is in your hands. It's not mine. I confess that. I give it back to you. You know, as easy as it is to open ourselves up and surrender ground, for a believer, it is so easy to go back. This is it. I confess, God, I did it. I'm sorry. I turn from it. Just take back any ground I've surrendered. You may not feel anything. But I am telling you, in the enemy kingdom, that is shockwaves going off. Because spiritual work is being done. You're regaining authority for the Lord in your life. You're allowing him to rule and reign in places that have been unsubmitted. It's very powerful. So, number one, have you surrendered any ground? And secondly, are you taking your stand? Remember that little mosquito incessantly trying to find a weak spot? That picture is 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, so resist him, standing firm in the faith. It's repeating what Ephesians has been saying. So let me just tell you what this means. If you want to be able to hold ground, you got to have a military mindset. Part of this is a determination. You're like, okay, that's it. I don't need to keep surrendering this stuff in my life. I will hold ground. And I know I can't do it in my strength, but the Lord is behind me. I've got this power. I will hold this ground. There's a determination. Roman soldiers were known for it. They knew, like, people could be getting plucked off left and right. They are not moving. There's this determination there. So it's almost like Paul is saying, you've got to get on this wartime mindset. Um, It's not just this passivity. It's not going to work in relation to spiritual warfare in this epic war. There's got to be a determination to stand. That's a big deal. And then you have to have some awareness. What's the enemy attacking? Another way to look at this one is just say, is this. What do you worry about? You're vulnerable there. What relationships are concerning you? You know there's something off. It's another area. What areas of your life do you feel sorry for yourself in? It's another weak spot. Those are the ones you have to watch, and you need to hold ground and stand. Now, this concept of standing, the way that this has been laid out in Ephesians, is consistent with all of, the, all of Scripture, that we find our strength in the Lord. So our focus is not what? The focus isn't even the sin. The focus isn't even the enemy. Our focus is the Lord. Now, this is a big deal. This is the way you get strength in the battle. It is your focus. It's everything. Um, In the Old Testament, David was a master at this. David, um, there's one point that people were going to be coming at David in 1 Samuel 30. Um, People are going to come and stone him. So his life is on the line, and it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. Well, what's he doing? David is going back to all that he knows about God, all that he has invested with God. David grew up before he was ever a king and leading an army, He was a shepherd living in fields. Well, what did he do out there? Well, he was not Instagramming sheep pictures to his other shepherds. He didn't get lost. Like, 
he's hanging out out there, and he did something with his time. He began to dwell on God. He dwelled on him, everything he knew about him. And something would begin to strengthen in him. He began thinking of these amazing word pictures that describe God, and he'd start writing it in poetry form. Then he'd make songs out of it. Songs that were used to strengthen an entire nation. He was building himself up in the Lord. The more he pondered God, meditated on God, worshipped God, he was getting strengthened. So when attack came his way, he went right back to that spot he knew so well, where he had been strengthened in the Lord. And then something supernatural happens, where the peace of God begins to fall, where terror used to reign. And that's supernatural. And that is when there is authority in the battle. When you can have peace in the midst of whatever's coming after you, you are standing in the strength of the Lord. The first battle is not your enemy, your issue. Your first battle is you and the Lord. Come to a place of rest and confidence in the Lord. And sometimes that takes a long time. Sometimes you're going to be soaking in worship music. Sometimes you need brothers and sisters to come around you and stand with you in it. But that is where your point of strength stands. I'll read you this quote that highlights it. It says, rest precedes rule. Peace precedes power. We will never know Christ's victory in its fullness unless we stop reacting humanly to our circumstances. When you truly have authority over something, you can look at it at that thing without worry or fear or intimidation. Your peace is the proof of victory. Our first battle is to come to a point of strength in the Lord. Now when you resist, you have authority because you've submitted your parts of your life to him. You're dwelling on him. He is strengthening you, and let me tell you, all of hell knows about it, and you will be strengthened and walk in greater freedom, because victory is designed for us in the midst of opposition. Not good news? All right. Now, this is not an intellectual exercise, so he challenged us to do something. What did he say? Stand. So let's stand up, all right? Let's stand. We're going to pray, and we are going to do... We're going to do something in here. Just simply turn our attention to God. Uh, We will worship, take an offering. But what we're going to be doing right now is in a group this size, listen, all of us subtly give ourselves over to things. Quickly. It happens so fast. It happens so fast. But what we are going to do in here is we are going to first take back ground in our own life. We're going to take it back right now. We're We're going to leave here with more spiritual strength than we walked in with. We're going to take places that have been unsubmitted and resubmit them back to God. And you will be strengthened. And the way you're going to be strengthened is we're going to turn our attention back to him. And I'm telling you, you watch what he does. You will feel spiritual power from the Lord. It's just how it works. It's how he's designed. So it doesn't matter the opposition coming at you, but you have authority to stand and to take ground back. So bow your heads, close your eyes. Okay, first I just want to address those of you, especially if this has been extremely hard, you're to, you're, it just is a tender and vulnerable time for you personally. I mean, getting here may have been a battle. You may have fought with your husband, your wife, or your kids the whole way here. Um, and it's just been turmoil and battle, and you feel weary. You're especially vulnerable. But you're also in a great spot to begin to experience new strength right now. So... 
the first thing we're going to do is say, God, would you take back ground? We're going to confess anything that the Lord brings to your mind. I want to say this too. If you've never given your life to Christ and you're not even sure if you have, your only authority is in the standing of Christ. That's your only authority. Your first thing of submission is submitting your own life to God. So you say, Jesus, I submit my life to you and all my sin. I've got so much. And I know you paid for it on a cross. I know you say I could have freedom, but I know I don't even deserve this, but I want to be part of this movement that we've been hearing about. I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to be a child of God. Give me a new identity. I confess my sin, and I accept that you died and rose. You've got authority. Okay? If you've done that, you're moving in new authority right now. So for all of us right now, let's just think this. What sin do you need to confess? What area have you surrendered ground? You know what it is, so just say it to the Lord quietly to him. Just say, I confess it. I'm sorry. And I turn from it. I renounce it. Just take back that ground. I give it back to you. I turn from it. I'll get rid of whatever I need to get rid of. I turn from it. There's sinful attitudes that you've got. They're indicators. Confess it. Say, God, I turn from it. I need strength apart from me because I can't turn from this on my own. I need your strength. So I, I first confess it and I renounce it. It's my anger, my anxiety or my fear. I just renounce that. Give me new strength. You think through areas of forgiveness and there's somebody or people it's hard to forgive. This is a foothold. That is unsurrendered ground. Take it back. Say, God, I, I confess it. Confess I've held on to this too long. I forgive. Even though it makes me feel, and you know what it makes you feel, you tell the Lord that. Betrayed or rejected or angry or hurt. And I forgive. I even ask that you would bless this person. You are taking background right now. So take it back. You know, the Lord will continue to show you things. So as quickly as it comes, you surrender it and move on. That's how quick you can take background. Now, as we do this, I, we're going to worship right now. And as we do, and even right now, I, I want something to happen. I, I want you to let a determination to begin to fall over you that you will hold your ground. So let that rise up in you. So take the charge from Paul and Ephesians very seriously that I will stand my ground. In your mind right now, here's a practical way to do it. I want you to think about your greatest worry right now. Okay, let that come before you. And now what I want you to imagine is the Lord in all of his glory behind that. Let him come into attention and focus now. And let that worry get smaller and put it back in perspective. What you're going to experience as you do that is peace will begin to fall on you. And you turn that worry back over to him. So right now we're going to keep looking to the Lord and let ourselves be strengthened. Um, you're going to be strengthened to a place that we could say we will not be shaken because we look to him. So let me pray for that. Father, as we, uh, as we turn to you right now, we thank you that you rule and reign, that you have all authority. 
Thank you that right now you're leading us to take back ground in our own lives. We don't want to hesitate on it. We'll move quickly. So give us quick, obedient hearts. We want to just respond. We will confess whatever you show us. Take back that ground. And we are going to have a determination that only you can give. So would you give us a determination as we look to you? I pray that you would strengthen us as a whole congregation right now. Strengthen us as we worship. We are going to declare trust in you and we'll focus on you. So just bless us, speak to us, continue to do it as we worship. We pray in your name. Amen. Awesome. Whew. Didn't that feel good? No, you just did right there. You went to war. You know, that's how we war. This is exactly how we war. That's what spiritual warfare looks like. See how it's, it's very calm but powerful? You submit these places that God shows you, and you take back that ground, and there's a determination to stand with Him, and He'll strengthen you. Doesn't it feel good to be able to declare we will not be shaken? So I will pray for that for us for this week in a moment. You know, Mike next week will be coming. He's going to carry on this theme. And it talks about armor that we've got. And it's very specific armor for specific attack. Be really helpful. So I'd encourage you to come out for that. And um, we have another series that will be coming up soon. This was in your uh, program, but it's called Scent. And there's a lot of things we could live our life for and give our life to. And this talks about giving it to the highest purpose and meaning that we could ever give it to. And it's going to be a powerful series. So it kicks off on September 19 and 20. So use that card to pray for people, people you might want to bring and come be a part of it. It'll be very powerful. Um, so before you take off, check out the life group tables and go out in uh, and all that and see your friends. I want to pray for us. Let's pray that what God began would continue. Sound good? So Father, right now, we come to you. We don't want to lose anything that we've gained here with you today. We want to hold that ground. We don't want to be shaken. I pray for supernatural covering for everybody here. Pray that we would have a shield and have faith. And even when the enemy comes to oppose us, there is not a fear. But there is a confidence in you. We quickly look to you. We come to rest and confidence again and will stand. Pray for amazing sensitivity to know where we've given up ground. It can be so subtle. So give us insight. We want to listen to you, Lord. And we are going to tell you right now, we want to be quick to confess it and get the ground back to you. So may we leave here strengthened. May we leave here encouraged and in just a much stronger spiritual spot because of today. So we want to keep running with you, God, like this. Bless us. Bless everyone here. Bless this church. We pray it in Jesus' name. We all said? Amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>